0: Here's a look at how we ended up where we are today. I was elected to go down to City Hall to end the gravy train. Yes, I'm human. I made mistakes, but I'm working out every day. I have a lot of work to do. I'm not stepping down. I guarantee you're going to see a change. I guarantee I'm working out every day. Folks, I went into Walmart the
1: other day, and it was just nonstop. Support you, ignore the
0: media, keep moving forward, and you're gonna see action like you've never seen before. Keep moving forward like you've never seen before. Stay the course, stay the course. Or Nation, I love being there, I love the city. poor Nation.
2: Welcome to Michael and Us. I'm Will Sloan. Here, as always, with Luke
3: Savage. Hey guys.
2: Uh, so we uh, left the last episode on a bit of a cliffhanger. We were talking about the Ontario election, and you know it was a big rumble in the jungle. Which populism is going to win, social democracy or uh, vacuous right-wing populism? And uh, guess Luke... what, folks? What? What won? <laughs> uh... The election did not go our way, to say the least.
3: No. So on Thursday, you know, I know a lot of Americans who follow me on Twitter. Like, I got messages from people like, "What? so what the hell is going on in Canada? I mean, essentially, we had an election in Canada's most uh, populous province. And yeah, the, the conservative, the boorish conservative won. The center collapsed, although it didn't collapse quite enough to allow the social democratic NDP to win. So I mean essentially the NDP gained a whole bunch of seats built up huge majorities in urban parts of Ontario in the north They are the
2: official opposition. They are the
3: official opposition. It's only the second time in Ontario history that's happened. The last time was when they were led by Stephen Lewis in the 70s. And then I believe the popular vote uh, the NDP secured was much more like 27, 28 percent, but not a good enough result to stop what may well turn out to be the most right-wing government ever elected in Canada's largest province.
2: It's very much like the Electoral College here with the parliamentary system, Doug Ford, uh, friend of the show who <laughs> Just, is the uh, progressive conservative leader, I think, got a little over 40% of the vote. Yeah. So, I mean, the uh, 58% of people voted for a non Doug Ford candidate. Uh, it, it's cold comfort in these hard times, but it's something worth clinging on to.
3: I mean, obviously, our electoral system is bad for producing results like this. But, I mean, the the real story to me of the election was the fact that about two weeks out when the incumbent Liberal Party realized that it was definitely going to lose, it pivoted to a strategy which was designed to stop the NDP from winning. So mm-hmm. I think that is very instructive. You have a premier who branded herself as a member of what she called the activist center, which I think is a contradiction in terms, <laughs> but that's how she branded herself. It was kind of, I'm a community organizer. I believe in activist government, the power of the government to do good. And I believe in using the state to do good. And, I'm a, you know. and when the liberals were faced with defeat, there was none of that to be seen. It was, uh, if you elect an NDP government, there will be nonstop strikes. And the NDP, because it's tied to the... You you know union bosses it will not have the you know the guts as we have to to crush the striking teaching assistants who make thirteen thousand dollars a year at York University or whatever so the Liberals made a very bizarre pitch I don't know if there is a precedent for this anywhere but essentially the weekend before the election Kathleen Wynne the premier came out and said I know I'm not going to win I'm conceding the election but What you need to do, people of Ontario, is as many of you need to vote liberal as possible because we can't have the extremes. We can't have on the one side terrifying austerity and cuts or on the other (laughs) side equally terrifying Human rights legislation, you massive new social programs, taxing the rich. We could can't afford so these her,
2: extremes. Her pitch was that the next government is going to be NDP or conservative, and we have to stop either of those parties from having a majority government. <laughs> we have to
3: vote for a minority government, right. which is, of course, not something you can't walk into the ballot box and say, my preference is a minority government.
2: And what Kathleen Wynne knew going into the weekend was that the conservatives already had something like a 70% chance of getting a majority government. Yeah because of the vote distribution.
3: Mm. So the posture of liberals uh, in this case, when faced with prospect of a really right-wing government, was we, we can't allow the left to govern. It's more important that we maintain official party status, which is eight seats. They failed to do that. They got they, seven. <laughs> um, you know, it'll be easier for us as a party to recover if the conservatives are in power than if the NDP is in power. And so, I mean, the cynicism of this is is even worse than it may initially sound because the other thing is the conservatives are going to undo. I mean, there are things the liberal government has done that I think are good and the conservatives are going to undo a lot of that. So they are imperiling their own progressive legacy, such as it is.
2: First and foremost, the sex ed platform, which was the liberal government to its credit passed the first kind of comprehensive update to the sex ed program in Ontario's curriculum since 1999.
3: Yeah. And so this has been a big rallying point for the conservative movement in the province because, of course, there was, as you can imagine, a lot of really absurd hyperbole from people that had not read this document. You know, oh, we're teaching toddlers that there are, you know, a thousand genders and just doug ford was kind of saying
2: stuff. that the curriculum taught kids how to masturbate yeah which is yes. obviously does
3: so it's it's rhetoric that i mean believe it or not i don't i mean i think you know a lot of americans might have the impression that we don't have like a christian right in canada but we mm. absolutely do and they've been mobilizing behind a lot of this stuff and they actually had an influence they were part of what got doug ford elected mm. tanya granick allen who was the sort of social conservative candidate in the leadership race back in March, I mean, her voters were necessary for Doug Ford to carry it on the final ballot. And now we have a really uh, a really right-wing premier, although I would just add as kind of a note of optimism, I mean, look, the NDP won a whole bunch of new seats. The NDP even won St. Paul's, which I stood in last time as a candidate four years ago. I want to say a really heartfelt congrats to Jill Andrew for pulling something off that uh, I think very few people thought that the NDP could win St. Paul's. So uh, so well done. And Doug Ford is going to be faced with, I think, a really, a really strong opposition that's going to hold him to account on this stuff and hopefully mitigate the worst of the uh, conservative assault that's coming.
2: I'm sorry that you didn't run in St. Paul's this time because I would have loved the idea of uh, Sue Ann Levy in the Toronto Sun combing through the Michael and us archives, trying to find some dirt, you know, trying to s- find some time when one of us said, I don't know, fuck the police or, or something and splash that on the
3: front page. Well, of course, if I had been elected, you know, this little podcast of ours would have had, you know, I couldn't have done this from Queen's Park. So, no,
2: well, we would do it from your apartment and then and I like to think I would be on your staff. In some capacity, like I would be the uh, podcaster We would, You know what we could
3: do? We could do how Doug Ford had this thing in the campaign where he's like, the media, they don't treat me fairly, so we're <laughs> going to have our own media. So that's what I would do as the MVP for St. Paul's, it'd be like, this is Will Sloat. Michael and Us is my personal outlet because I don't trust the sleaze bags and the and the MSM. We could possibly
2: get Michael and Us on like News Talk 1010. <laughs> we could we could upgrade.
3: Well, I mean, a certain uh, certain former municipal politicians did exactly that a few years ago, didn't they?
2: You know, the biggest <laughs> insult to injury of this <laughs> campaign is like it, it wasn't just any conservative asshole who got elected it was doug ford yeah arguably the worst man in the province
3: yeah uh, one, one of one of the worst politicians that our country has ever produced
2: if you heard our episode about the rob ford crack tape that was what the episode was called believe it or not <laughs> even though i think we talked about it for about two minutes <laughs> that was ostensibly the subject of that episode but our out-of-country listeners may remember Rob Ford, the crack mayor of Toronto, who has since passed on. Doug Ford is his, I don't know how you describe him, his odious brother.
3: Yeah, and I think Doug, so Doug was always there kind of behind the scenes with Rob as kind of an un, like unofficial deputy mayor and... I think the consensus was kind of as the brains of the operation. I mean, certainly in Robin Doolittle's book, Crazy Town, where she talks about the Ford family, I mean, her take was that Doug is kind of the effective manager, and he's the one that does a lot of the actual managing of, of Deco Labels, which is the company that on which the Fords made their fortune they inherited from their dad, also named Doug Ford.
2: Yeah, for a bit of a refresher on Ford family history, Doug Ford Sr. was a backbencher in the Progressive Conservative Party provincially for a brief period in the 90s. Before that, he founded Deco Label and Tags, a middling uh, stationary business yeah, in enough, enough
3: to make a single family quite a bit of money. Yeah. No, it's
2: no Michael and Us podcast. <laughs> Empire, old You're right. Apologies to the Ford family. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just very upset right now. Uh, he passed it on to his sons, Doug Jr., Rob, and Randy. Uh, Randy's the best Ford. I think we can all... He's the only Ford I like. Friend of the show. <laughs> uh, while Rob pursued politics as a city councilor, Doug and to a lesser extent randy ran the family business and then when rob became mayor for his one term (laughs) doug took over rob's council seat representing north etobicoke now i read because i'm crazy I read Mark Toohey's book about the Rob Ford years. Mark Toohey was the chief of staff under Rob Ford. And he said that he thought, counter to how most people think he's the brains of the operation, he thought he was the biggest obstacle to ever getting anything done. Interesting. Because Rob's a puppet, but Doug has a mind of his own and he thinks he's a genius. So he would do kooky things like get into a fight with Margaret Atwood over library oh, funding. That was crazy. Or just go on the radio and say, oh yeah, we're going to have a whole new plan to the waterfront where we're going to build a ferris wheel and a monorail <laughs> or you know like the, the casino thing you remember the casino thing that was a failure because of doug or doug was constantly doing these things like uh when rob went to chicago to meet with Ram Emanuel. doug came to chicago and he thought he was going to like you know, come to the meeting, right. but why would the Ward 2 counselor from Toronto <laughs> meet with Rahm Emanuel? With the
3: mayor of Chicago. There's
2: no, ne- there's no need, and so after that, Doug just stopped talking to Mark Toohey, <laughs> the fact that he wasn't allowed to meet the mayor of Chicago. <laughs> so for me, the glimmer of optimism about the coming four years is I think my, my Criswell predicts right now is that <laughs> Doug will probably have a successful first year or two. And then he'll start screwing up because he thinks he's a genius.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, the the thing is the PCs and Ford, you know, as many right-wing politicians have been known to do, ran this campaign that really promised people a lot, I think at least conceptually and emotionally without really asking for anything or without sort of suggesting there was any trade-offs. So, I mean, the whole premise of the PC campaign and American listeners especially will we'll probably be very familiar with this brand of you know, quote-unquote fiscal conservatism. Mm. Um, You know, I'm referring to it that way because that's what it is rhetorically, not because that's actually what it is. But, um, you know, the PC campaign was basically we're going to cut a whole bunch of taxes because things are weighed down by red tape and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we're going to put more money back in your pocket, you know, with these kind of stupid measures like, you know, well, yes, they're rolling back the minimum wage increase, but they're going to give a small tax break to people in the second tax bracket, which, you know, if you're, if you make $43,000 a year is like $18 a year, that's putting more money back in your pocket. So people, of course, instant, you know, the, the inevitable question is, okay, well, we're going to get billions of dollars to do this. If you're not going to cut, you know, public spending and you know services people depend on, and this is a very Fordist theme. Specifically, Doug Ford's response to that was, "Well, we're going to find efficiencies. So there never cuts; it's always efficiencies. And I mean, obviously, that's bullshit. So I think there's something to the idea that Ford does not actually have a mandate to do what he is going to try to do, and you know, trying to do that at Toronto City Hall, which is a place where you know they're not allowed to run budgetary deficits and stuff." That's one thing. But I mean, what it will take for them to make billions of dollars in cuts to the province's revenue streams. And then, like, I mean, they're going to cut. They are going to cut programs. And there will be a backlash to that. And they will pay a heavy mm-hmm. price. And we're going to make sure they do.
2: And they're going to cut a lot of jobs, too.
3: Yeah. I mean, Doug Ford also said, "Not a, folks, not a single person will lose their job. But um, what he's
2: good at is like creating enemy groups. It, like it maybe the teachers unions. That's what, that's exactly uh, what,
3: that's exactly what will happen. Because it'll
2: be, I'm all for the students, I'm all for the parents, yeah. not these greedy teachers unions.
3: Right, they're going to practice uh, wedge politics. So the last time the Ontario elected a really right-wing government was in the 90s, 95, with Mike Harris, um, in what was called then the Common Sense Revolution, which was, I think, the name they <laughs> gave to their platform. But the thing about that is it was explicitly a right-wing program. I don't think the piece. Sees like a lot of what's right wing about the program is sort of implied. It's dog whistle, but it hasn't been as explicit. So I think they're going to have a harder time when they actually try to do it. They're also going to face an NDP opposition rather than a liberal one, which I think should make a big difference.
2: Well, four years ago, when Tim Hudak ran with the progressive conservatives, again, it was an election that they were widely predicted to win. But then his centerpiece campaign promise was that he would cut 100,000 public sector
3: jobs. Yeah, funnily enough is something that was dubbed the million jobs plan. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of people, you know, it was it was like one of those sketchy emails you get from a Nigerian prince where it, but it says like, <laughs> you know, um Hi, like, I will give you a million jobs, but first please send me 100,000 jobs so like, was, with your credit card. Yeah, so it's kind of like tough love, yeah. you know? And they were also going to basically pass right-to-work mm-hmm. legislation, so uh, they were going to destroy public sector unionism, and the province uh, did not respond well to that. So. Once they
2: get start getting really specific about their ideas, they're not very popular. No. Uh, by contrast, this year the big conservative campaign promise was buck a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. Which is exactly what it sounds like. One, yeah, one dollar beer. It's two
3: four for two four. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: which also though, for that we gave up dental. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Jesus. Although you know, I looked, and it's so funny. Um, Tim Hudak in twenty eleven in his first campaign actually had a buck a beer thing. Oh. So
2: it's like he must be kicking himself right now. I
3: think he's kicking himself because I think after watching the campaign that just happened, he's thinking, "God, if I if I just hadn't like explicitly run on right to work and on firing a hundred thousand <laughs> people, I would be premier now."
2: I mean, there are a lot of things that we want to do on this podcast, a lot of things we've been talking about doing for a long time, but you know, the the national mood is such right now that I feel like in this episode we really have to address just what's happened here in Ontario and. I was thinking, what could we do that's sort of Ford-centric that we haven't done yet? Because, believe it or not, there are not a lot of great films about uh, Doug Ford. But there is actually, when I started thinking about it, quite a quite a fair amount of audiovisual material in uh, uh, new media. And, you know, Doug and Rob, when Rob was mayor, uh, used to have a talk show on the radio called Ford Nation, Which was was their
3: own version of Michael and Us.
2: Yeah, that allowed them to speak directly to the people, not through this loathed media class. After the crack scandal, they lost that platform, but they got a new TV show on Sun News, the Dear Departed Sun News, which was kind of Canada's answer to Fox News, but not as good. It
3: was terrible.
2: And it got good ratings, but unfortunately, it took something like nine hours to record a one-hour episode because they're not TV professionals. <laughs> so This is the show, not the network. The
3: network yeah, got very bad ratings. The, the, yeah. yeah,
2: this show was their highest-rated show ever, which was not hard, by the way. That show, despite its ratings, got canceled and... They sought the last resort of a scoundrel, YouTube. <laughs> so, on this episode, we will be discussing the short-lived Ford Nation YouTube show.
0: Let's do it. What do you What do you eat? You've got a big belly on you. You must be eating something. What's your favorite food? Uh, if,
1: hold on, that's the pot. That's the pot calling the kettle black. You've pulled their hands out of the cookie jar, and when you do that, folks, uh, they're coming looking for you.
0: I don't ask people on the phone, are you a conservative, NDP, or liberal? Before I help them, I just go out and help these people out. Please judge me on my record, not my personal life.
2: Okay, so during the break, we watched all of the Ford Nation YouTube videos.
0: Did we ever?
2: You know, I thought this was going to be really painful because, you know...
3: Because every episode of this show is painful. Every
2: episode is painful. And, you know, the, the prospect of four years of seeing Doug Ford's face and hearing Doug Ford's voice has been weighing so heavily on me. It's like, you know, this feeling that it's going to be this constant buzzing headache for the next four years that i really didn't want to spend more time with doug ford now but i gotta say i loved revisiting <laughs> these four nation youtube videos it was
3: such a like magical nostalgic experience it really was i mean so we used the like playlist feature on youtube or whatever and we just queued up the entire trove of them there's not that many and like they range from like 23 seconds long to like maybe four or five minutes we just like ran through them and so it had this very like it was a, just a stream of consciousness it was like fiscal conservative beat poetry or something <laughs> it was incredible set the stage for us will what is the format of the show <laughs> what is the show i think it could
2: charitably be described as minimalist remember this is coming hot off the heels of their big much hyped cable news show which had guests and which had they, they managed three episodes or something they, they managed one episode <laughs> this is just I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie the <laughs> sketches from SCTV where it was just the two hosers in front of a map yeah that's what this is
3: yeah so oh man the, the mise en scene is so <laughs> perfect because behind them there's this poster that has Toronto it says Ford Nation and you can see that the place where it's been sort of taped together in the middle and you can see all the creases in it and like the lighting is really bad so periodically you can see like a camera person or someone like walking in front of you can see a shadow
2: be cast over it but mostly it's just like a shot of these two uh rather pink looking gentlemen (laughs) the dynamic between them is i think rather testy Mm -hmm. they don't look each other in the eyes a lot they had a lot of fights between each other and they were sort of at their best together when they were facing a common enemy. So the dynamic between them is a lot like Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington (laughs) on, on cinema, a lot of like passive aggressive, making fun of each other's weight.
3: Yeah. It's weird. And so, I mean, thematically, I mean, so let's see. They talk a lot about sports.
2: Yeah, there are several genres of video. There's, yeah, they
3: they talk about... What else do they talk there, about? There
2: are videos where they talk about sports. There are videos where they get really wonkish.
3: Oh, those are they my talk, favorite. They
2: say a lot of numbers and say all the money they've saved.
3: I, I'm a little bit... You know, I'm a kind of a numbers and a processes guy. Like, yeah. I, you know, so I really like all that stuff.
2: And there are videos where they read letters from fans those are the most solipsistic (laughs) so you know for the first i would say four fifths those are the three genres but then at the end there's a big twist because rob gets invited to hollywood to be on the jimmy kimmel show and to attend a big oscar party
1: so that's what the last couple episodes are about folks we had a great time it was uh you know it was hollywood at its best and rob you're, you're a pretty humble guy it's not uh so when I, he was getting all the attention, you know, Rob leaned over to me, Jones, what's the big deal here? And I said, you're the big deal, Jones. I but, don't know, uh, they're very friendly, and
0: there was actors, actresses, and there was directors, and there was everybody there. And, uh, I, you know, uh, it's, I had a lot of fun. It was, it was, we had a good time. And uh, I had to uh, leave because if you don't leave at those parties, you could get in trouble. And so I had to drag him out by his ears because he wanted to stay. So, (laughs) So, anyways, we were there,
1: folks, for about an hour. Had a good time. Uh, someone was going to jump in the pool. (laughs) I didn't didn't know who, but, uh...
2: So one thing I forgot about Rob Ford until I was reacquainted with him in these videos is, you know, for kind of a populist demagogue type, he's not that
3: charismatic. I remember people observing this at the time when he was mayor, that he was kind of just inept and could barely string like words together. He's but it, like
2: a shy four year old. You know the way he he doesn't make eye contact. His eyes are always kind of drifting upward.
3: He and Doug he don't fidgets. look. They don't look at each other. They they speak to the camera because mm-hmm. I guess maybe like whoever their cinematographer was <laughs> Sven Nyquist I guess yeah, shot this, uh, you know he, he told them to look at the camera a lot of times they're not even looking at the camera though they're just looking down in front of them like at a piece of paper where they're just reading so Rob is
2: very soft spoken and he's kind of looking around until you get him on the topic of the money he saved the oh. evil left wing counselors who want to thwart his agenda yeah. or his personal troubles and, and then he starts like he'll start talking and they'll start talking more He'll get angrier and he'll get angrier and he'll get angrier and and like eventually, like Doug will have to rein him back in. <laughs> There's something very like just pure about Rob, <laughs> which you know doug could not be more different in terms no, that's of that yeah. doug is like a used car
3: salesman yeah he's like conventionally slimy like rob ford's sliminess i think was pretty avant-garde yeah yeah
2: doug doesn't come across like a guy who believes his own bullshit like rob does mm-hmm. and doug i mean it's such a joke up here in canada like the fact that doug says folks you yeah. know every time he oh, says yeah. anything and i think the. Contrast between them really comes out when we get to the Hollywood episodes because, oh, man. you know, Rob is sort of bemused to be invited to Hollywood, uh, but he doesn't really care. Like, Rob doesn't care about celebrities, he doesn't watch movies, none of this means anything to him, but Doug. <sighs> loves being around famous people
3: yeah and he's so doug keeps talking about how they were on the red carpet and stuff like that and then rob you were you were a rock star (laughs) out there you know uh we were at this hollywood party
2: after the oscars and and folks i'm telling you there were there were at least a hundred people there
3: someone wanted to jump into the pool i won't say who folks people
2: (laughs) people were taking pictures with rob the, the culmination of this show is their infamous Kevin Spacey episode.
3: Oh and this is so great because even after we we passed the Kevin Spacey episode on the, on the shitty YouTube channel um which by the way you can email at fordnation 2014 at gmail.com Yes, please we're gonna we're gonna send that account and ep- the episode of the show Michael, talk-
2: Michael and Us Nation, if you have any questions for Doug Ford, email
3: yeah ford nation 2014 at gmail.com i'm sure the account is checked daily hourly mm-hmm. and uh and i'm sure they'd love to hear from you so even after we watch the kevin spacey segment which is a couple minutes long like a little tag keeps appearing in the like corner of their shitty youtube video where it's like click here to watch the this the the popular kevin spacey episode
2: the
1: episode starts with i'll, I'll just play the audio of it <laughs> now jimmy is a to earth guy and let me let me give you an example folks, when Jimmy Kimmel was back uh, backstage there, he'd take a picture with anyone and everyone. Uh, some folks were with us, other yeah. people we, we didn't even know, he'd go up and take pictures. And then there was this Kevin Spacey, okay? I want to start off with saying Kevin Spacey is an incredible actor.
0: He is, he, I, he I, really I, is. I've never, I don't watch movies. like so Yeah, so, but Rob? I wouldn't know him if I ran him over, but In, and in my was,
1: opinion, he's an arrogant SOB, and I'll tell you the reason why. Any actor that makes a living off the people that watches shows, he wouldn't take a picture with anyone. We were told you can't take a picture and you can't speak to him. Who does this character think he is? I don't even he know. He thinks he's God, that he's he's up there, that no common folk can take a picture. And then do you know what's amazing? He goes on the show and he changes on a dime. Like on a dime. It's unbelievable. I was just... So, you know, Kevin... Why don't you get off your high horse and be real and take pictures with people? And uh, that, that's
0: my opinion
1: of someone like Yeah, you got to be like careful
0: that. because, you know what, maybe he does take pictures and we're not aware of it. I didn't see him. So when he went on stage... All I and, know is and, we
1: were told you can't talk to him, you can't take pictures with him. And Jimmy, him. he's the most down-to-earth guy. He'll take a picture with anyone, including your pet dog. He doesn't <laughs> mind. Isn't that great?
2: Like this is where the difference in their personalities really comes across. Rob doesn't care about Kevin Spacey. He's
3: never heard of totally Kevin ambivalent. Spacey. He's like, I don't watch movies. Yeah,
2: hey, hey, maybe Kevin Spacey's a nice guy. It's like he's actually quite magnanimous <laughs> Rob. At one point, is
3: like, you know, well, we, you know, we just saw this, but maybe he takes photos with other people. Like yeah. we don't know. Like who are we to say? But Doug
2: absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, that that's Doug. Doug is much more of a like status-seeking guy. Now, of you know? course,
3: they they did score a big celebrity guest for the final, the the dernier clip in this in this opus.
2: Yeah, the very last <laughs> episode of the Ford Nation YouTube show is a five-minute Skype interview with Jimmy Kimmel, who <laughs> I think it's fair to say is doing it ironically.
3: Oh man, watch the clip. It's so obvious that Kimmel just he regards. Them is like like I'll just go on and just have a laugh at their expense and Mm -hmm. like at one point he makes a joke about how Doug Ford says oh you're staying at Rob's house when you come visit Toronto he's like actually I'm gonna stay in your bed with you and your wife or whatever and the Ford brothers kind of as you put it like they get that there's a joke going on but they don't quite grasp that they're the they're on the receiving end of it. Now, our earlier Ford episode was part of the Canada 150 spectacular. Yeah. And I think it would be a dereliction of duty if we didn't talk about kind of, if we didn't situate the sort of Fords go to Hollywood thing within the broader, you know, context of, you know, Mm -hmm. its role in Canadiana. Because the fact is, like, the Fords themselves, even though they're, you know, ostensibly, you know, these kind of right-wing conservatives disrupting the political status quo here in Toronto... They're just as kind of in awe of Hollywood. Like at, at one point, Doug Ford says something about how their trip, you know, it represented the best of what Hollywood had to offer. He, he said it was Hollywood at its best. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like the <laughs> provincialism of it. It was is, so
2: embarrassing. It's humiliating. As, as Torontonians to watch the literal mayor of Toronto. Yeah. because Okay. You, you folks who are, don't live in Toronto may not understand <laughs> what this period was like. That period when Rob admitted to Smoking Crack and all the late night talk show hosts were talking about him for the next two weeks, there was such a buzz in this city. Oh, because that time. because
3: Canada as we've said in earlier episodes does have this kind of provincialism hardwired into its psyche yeah because if it's just people feeling I think some people felt shame at this and I get that obviously that's like a justified emotion in this Mm -hmm. case but I don't think that was kind of the overriding emotion people had it was like oh hey we're on TV yeah you know you wouldn't believe
2: it SNL did a sketch about Rob Ford SNL
3: did that Rob Ford sketch which was fucking terrible Mm -hmm. there was nothing funny about it like it didn't even sound like Rob Ford there was Mm -hmm. nothing but people were just so kind of flattered by it john stewart did a couple of monologues yeah. about it and
2: you know the next day your facebook feed would be full of all these Just people everyone
3: posting it and yeah
2: like people were excited about it and then jimmy kimmel invited rob ford to be on his show the the show the day after the oscars and rob ford doug ford and their lovely brother randy ford were like traipsing around
3: tragically omitted from the <laughs> ford nation Program. Yeah,
2: They were traipsing around L.A. on Oscar weekend. And when people in Toronto were asking, uh, why are you why are you going to L.A. to, you know, be on a talk show so that they can laugh at you for being a crack smoker? Rob and Doug would say, oh, uh, we're going over there to promote. Canada's film industry (laughs) and people in Toronto's film office would say you want to support Toronto film industry well you know we could set up some meetings for you and they'd be like no 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 no, that's just bureaucracy (laughs) they were going out to LA and just like Handing out deco
3: labels, like business cards. They were probably. handing out
2: business cards and they were saying
3: like, yeah, come film in Toronto. Come make your movies in Toronto. And probably just on the street to random strangers.
2: Yeah, seriously. Like on, on like Sunset Boulevard. And, you know, there was a moment in one of these uh, Ford Nation episodes where Rob Ford says, you know, that, that movie that won the Oscar, I'm um, 12 Years a Slave, that actually played at the TIFF. So that that goes to show you about about Toronto. And this is unusually embarrassing behavior yeah. for for a mayor even
3: for a Canadian politician on an American show it's embarrassing. And
2: yet, I don't know, somehow somehow it's representative of something about this country, I think.
3: Oh, absolutely. Now, even though you know the you know Fords and Hollywood clips are kind of the most, I guess they're the most abstractly interesting my favorite genre of ford nation clip was these kind of wonkish fiscal conservative ones (laughs) where it's just rob looking at a piece of paper and kind of quoting these arbitrary hand-picked statistics about you know how much money they've saved and then complaining about like these these clips sum up the essence not just of ford style you know right-wing politics but of I think sort of right-wing, sort of penny-pinching fiscal conservatism in general because there's a clip, and I encourage you to watch it. You could find it yourselves. It's one Mm. of these ones. There's not that many. There's one where the entire clip is like five minutes of Rob ranting about how counselors get to expense roaming fees on their cell phones. Oh, my God. And he talks about it in such elaborate detail. And, you know, I think this really sums up this kind of politics because the implication is always like if you're, you know, a struggling person, the reason you're struggling is because, like, when a city councillor in Toronto goes on holiday. You know they charge roaming fees so that they can still be in touch with their constituents while they're away mm-hmm. and that's the reason you're struggling like there's not any bigger reason it's like and so this prescription is always and we saw this in the recent provincial election it's like oh we're gonna give you like 18 a year back through a bunch of arbitrary like tax cuts or whatever mm-hmm. it's like penny pinching diagnosis of the problem and then like an equally penny pinching solution. And I mean, with the Fords, it's especially acute because like as you pointed out, they're such kind of small business owners and that the only thing they know how to do is obsess over these kind of micro details, you know, these tangential points in kind of the bottom line.
2: This is one difference between Rob Ford and a lot of conservative politicians. I think a lot of conservative politicians use this you know, use this fiscal conservatism very strategically. Yeah. Uh, you know, almost like as a smokescreen. But Rob actually believes it. Yeah. I remember we used to talk a lot back in back in those awful days, those Halcyon days, <laughs> about how like Rob was incapable of kind of complex or abstract thought, yeah. and so yeah, yeah. people would say to him, "Okay, how are you gonna?" how are you going to find efficiencies at city hall? And he would say, you look at these counselors in city hall and, and the plant budgets in their offices are out of control. They're wasting paper.
0: And they, all these expenditures previously funded from their office budgets now can be funded from the city council constituency service and office budget. They play tricks. They use these, uh, this terminology that people don't understand. So for example, what would it pay for? Um, pay for long distance phone bills, for their iPads, uh, for their data service, for their roaming charges. That is not necessary. The average person doesn't get this paid for, neither should we. Like
3: People focus on obviously the scandals around the Rob Ford mayoralty, but I think what was so remarkable about him was he was a guy who, like he made his name as a counselor who his thing was he always returns your call, mm-hmm. right? if the city bureaucracy is not responding fast enough or if your landlord is like being a pain or whatever rob ford will go talk to them but what was amazing is he became the mayor and the only the only two things he knew how to knew how to do was this thing that he did as counselor and he knew Like, at the family business, when there's a problem, you just... The boss gives a stern word, and you fix it, right? Right. And so those are the only two things he knew how to do. And he tried to do those two things at the level of, like, one of the world's most important cities. Mm -hmm. So his schedule would be, like, unclear for weeks at a time, and it would turn out that what he was doing was just driving around in this big convoy with his Cadillac Escalade leading the pack, and just people would call the mayor's cell phone and they'd be like, oh, my drain's broken or I have a pothole in front of my house and he would personally go. So he w- he wasn't doing any like, like governing a lot of the time. It he
2: was, would actually return every call. I know people who like called him yeah, ironically called him or and then two months later, he would finally get to their number mm-hmm. and you'd be like, Rob Ford here, you I, called? You called?
3: <laughs> I heard a story about him um, on the way to one of the mayoral debates in 2010. And I can't remember which, you know, soulless operatic was trying to coach him ahead of the debate, but he wasn't having any of it because they're in the back of the car and he's just got like a piece of paper that has like hundreds of post-it notes stuck yeah. to it and just people's phone numbers scribbled down and he's just calling them back.
2: Well, you know, in Mark Toohey's book, one of the reasons why the first Rob Ford mayoral campaign only had, you know, two or three slogans, you know, stop the gravy
3: train, mm-hmm. respect for taxpayers, "Respect for Taxpayers." Yeah.
2: that was all they could drill into his head yeah. because they would be driving him around from event to event and he couldn't remember more and he would be constantly distracted by having a fistful of constituents. Phone numbers he was just Amazing. calling yeah. while he was running for mayor. Yeah. yeah. And it worked. <laughs> it, it, incredi- incredibly, it worked. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, he got elected, I think, largely because, like, the left leaning incumbent mayor didn't seek re election. And there were polls that showed in the final week, if he was in the campaign, he actually would have been re elected. I honestly
2: don't know if I believe that. There was a lot of sentiment against him. You well, know,
3: who, who knows? It, but it I mean, the work. other thing that happened was that uh, the left-leaning candidate who was initially the front runner was torpedoed by a personal scandal Uh and then um after that the other kind of front runner candidate was this guy george smitherman who was who had been the deputy premier and initially he was running a right-wing campaign he's running kind of a you know we have to rein in this kind of you know left-wing spendthrift politics and of course when rob ford entered and kind of claimed that terrain smitherman tried to pivot. But it really, like, Smitherman was a machine politician and he, his pivot was very unconvincing. So it's like, of course, Rob Ford won that election. Like, he had the most compelling mm-hmm. message and there was no real alternative that people were hearing. I just, I just, I guess I just want to get that on the record because I actually don't think like his victory was inevitable or like so many of these things, it's the product of like, technocratic liberals being self-indulgent and irresponsible just like the election we just had in Ontario well to be honest
2: you know as we said on the last Rob Ford episode there were a lot of you know eerie parallels between the Toronto mayoral election and the 2016 presidential election absolutely yeah maybe just a few more things to say about the Ford Nation show maybe we should address how uh, Rob's social conservatism manifests itself in the show there's one episode About you know a a minor scandal Mm -hmm. over the pride flag during the Russian Olympics, council voted to hang the pride flag up in front of city hall in front of city hall for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, to, to protest the unjust treatment of LGBTQ people in Russia and. Rob got very upset about that, and you know Rob famously never marched in the Pride Parade as Toronto mayors usually do because oh uh, I, I have to be at my cottage that weekend. Right. You know he kind of went as far as it was politically possible to yeah. say that he hated gay people without coming out and saying it. Yeah. And so you know in this video, you know his line is always I we should not have the pride flag out there because it's about supporting Canadian
3: athletes. Right, right. It's about patriotism and...
2: And Doug, who's a little savvier on these issues because I don't think Doug really... Hates gay people as much as Rob does. Mm-hmm. What Doug would say, although what, he does, <laughs> although he does, but not as much as Rob. Like Doug's, I think, more of a businessman on this on this <laughs> issue. But Doug would say, you know, uh, folks, uh, Rob's a, a social liberal. You can be gay, straight, black, blue, purple. You come to his office and he'll help you out. You yeah, know, that's social liberalism for Doug Ford.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I mean it, that actually is kind of a flash forward to the way, like Doug Ford in this recent election. Open, I mean, he, well, he kind of openly in the sense that it was public, it wasn't hidden. People reported on it. You know, he courted these kind of social conservative constituencies, but oftentimes the way that he actually, like his public kind of position is, it's always this, it's always the sort of conservative fallback position of like, it's about free speech or it's about not mm. imposing views on people. Yeah. He's more, he's more of a politician, like with this stuff, whereas Rob was much more kind of overt. I think it would be safe to say.
0: You know what I was thinking would be good. I, I want to, not 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 even a fundraiser. I want to throw a fundraiser where we go and uh, we have a we just have fun in classic Rob Ford style. Excellent. What do you think of that? No, you know something. I I think that was a great idea.
2: You
3: so uh, Will, what are we doing next week?
2: I think uh, we're we're finally going to do the Star Wars episode. i been I've... pushing
3: it for a long time, folks. i I've,
2: I've been convinced. I think there's lots to talk about. Star Wars is a Is a real (laughs) tinderbox. You know, just a personal anecdote about Rob Ford. I remember on assignment as a journalist.
3: Yeah, we have other jobs, folks, believe it or not.
2: I went to Rob's last Ford Fest. Uh, Ford Fest is an annual community barbecue that the Ford family holds in Etobicoke, which is a suburb in Toronto. And basically, it's a campaign event for them. And this was after uh, rob had to withdraw from the 2014 mayoral campaign because he got cancer doug instead ran for mayor and lost to uh, the, the more center-right Just candidate like another guy with uh, basically the same politics. john tory but uh, rob kept saying you know i'm gonna run next time i'm gonna run next time and it looked like his cancer was in remission for a time and so at ford fest which took place in October that year. It was really a bad for an evening community barbecue. But I remember that he was out there and he gave a little speech to his audience and he said, oh, uh, you know, I, 2018, look out. Uh, you know, I think something's going to happen. And then he spent the rest of the night uh, sitting in a chair. It's like holding
3: court, basically. Yeah, right? just
2: sitting in a chair while a huge crowd of people took turns taking selfies with him. And it felt to me, you know, coming from downtown and taking the bus all the way up to Rexdale to see this felt a little bit like, you know, going upriver and meeting Colonel Kurtz. (laughs) (laughs) The other uh, thing I remember about the 2014 mayoral race was, I'm sure some of our Canadian listeners will remember the late lamented Toronto Alt Weekly, The Grid, uh, which I wrote for quite a bit when it was iWeekly but i remember that they're either their last or their yeah, like their second uh, last their issue. penultimate issue the the cover story was david Suknaki, who was uh, of the five major mayoral candidates he was the fifth yeah he was polling last he was kind of a center-right candidate basically his politics were the same as john tory's
3: but but it was like he had that kind of outsider like i'm sort of the i'm the radical center you know like i'm perfectly pitched at that like i don't know if they if you have this in american cities i assume you do but like the the sort of like civic center where it's like we need to go beyond left and right and focus on city building and big ideas but then all his policies were just like you know
2: yeah and his whole gimmick was that he was he was more wonkish than all the other yeah. candidates and also that he had a social media team that was good at social media so he was the proto norm kelly <laughs> and the cover story about him it was like a picture of him and it says i can has mayorality question mark or something like that and the thesis of the article was like okay so he's basically got John Tory's politics, and he's polling last, and there's no chance he can win, and you haven't heard of him. But what if he could win? (laughs) And I thought there was something a little depressing at the time of a magazine that is supposed to be like an alt-weekly. Yeah. Toronto's alternative voice. If that's
3: alt, I mean. Yeah,
2: like if that's alt. And, you know, I think like this is a problem with the media in general.
3: Yeah, like I think as with, you know, Canada writ large post Stephen Harper, there was sort of a poverty of of the political imagination. Because, I mean, I think for a lot of people... You know, as with, you know, George Bush or whatever is kind of like, well, we just have to get rid of this. Yeah. You know?
2: And considering David Soknaki in this way, it's almost as if politics are like a fashion brand that you can just you know go to H and M and try in a change room yeah. just to
3: see kind of what it looks like yeah, on you. You know, though, he's you know he's yeah. he's a little bit hip, he's trendy. He's like we're
2: probably not going to vote for David Soknaki, but what would it look like if we wore it? You know, <laughs> for an issue, just just as a thought experiment, <laughs> and like that's that's I think sick. <laughs> I'm sorry that that's that's very bad and you know I hate to beat up on the grid rest in peace but I'm putting you know all other alternative media voices alt media voices on notice here okay we're not going to take this anymore from from the alternative media voices Michael and us is here we're we're nipping at your heels
3: now watch this drive
1: (laughs) <laughs> anyway, anyways, Jimmy. Uh, again, thank you, thank you for, for coming on and paying a visit. Now, are you going to come to the Toronto uh, Film Festival?
0: I would like to come. I'm uh, I'm having a baby, so I have to figure it all out. But I would definitely like to come up there. And you know what, I, Jimmy, I I just noticed my brother's birthday's on November 20th, and your birthday's on November 13th, and Doug's turning 50 this year. So that would be a good reason to come up. We can have two birthday parties. For Doug's fiftieth birthday, and you're turning forty-six or forty-seven and he's turning fifty. So there's no two people I would rather spend my birthday with than the two of you. And Doug, uh yeah, your fiftieth birthday, I would I would love to make it. I would love to be the party clown. Oh, don't worry, you are. Don't worry.
1: So now you remember, if you if you're coming up to Toronto, you're sleeping at Rob's place, not my place. Okay? okay? I'm not just
0: I'm not just planning to sleep at Rob's place. Rob, I would, I want to sleep with you and your wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh? Well, we better not comment on that one. <laughs> oh, now you're not commenting. <laughs> no, I
1: better not comment. But you can come over. I, I have a golden retriever. You can sleep with him. And uh, right, i you got guess. a few cats. So that, that's all right. But we have one big family.